Well, good morning, everyone. It is awesome to be with you this morning. Uh, just a real quick note, uh, those of you that, that don't know about climate control in rooms with lots of people, um, it gets warm and then it gets cold, and so here in just a moment, some of you will be like, oh, it's so cold in here, um, and others will be like, oh, it's hot in here. There's nothing we can do about it. So just, you just, just enjoy, uh, and you'll be just fine. I distinctly, my mom can vouch for this. Uh, when I first started going to church, where we went to church growing up as a kid, um, we always sat in the very back row. Um, for those of you guys in the back row, it was beyond that, because this church actually had like a, uh, what was it, mezzanine? Is that what you call it? I don't know. They had the folding doors behind, in front of those back sections of pews, right? So we sat in the back one, and when I was a kid, we didn't even have air conditioning. I know, way back in the day. We had indoor plumbing, but, but we didn't have air conditioning, so the windows would be open back there in the back, and I'm sure I was paying very close attention during the message um, as those windows were open, but yeah, uh, we, we did that. So climate control, it's always an issue uh, when you get to things like this, but um, anyway, it's all good. One quick side note, if anyone can use this, uh, we got a box of free hand sanitizer. It's about 12 bottles of this, but it's the liquid kind. It's just, just liquid. It's not a gel. If anyone can use this, would you please take it? They're at the Welcome Center. We, we don't want to throw them away. They were free. Um, but if you can use this, you've got something you can put this in to use it, please, please, please take one or two or all of them. Um, we don't care. We just really want you to have them if you can use them, all right? Because uh, they're not cheap and, and, and we got them for free. So please, please, please take those away from us. All right. Did you enjoy your donut this morning, everybody that got here in time to have a donut? Yeah. I did too. I did too. Maybe I had too much sugar on my donut. I don't know. We'll find out as we go along here this morning, won't we? All right. It'll be good. It'll be good. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, uh, what a blessing it is to be in your presence this morning, to be in your house, uh, to worship you. I'm just, it's just beyond comprehension what, we, what you allow us to do and to be here together with brothers and sisters in Christ and know that there's those among us, there's those that have joined us online that do not have a relationship with you yet, and maybe today is the day that the Spirit moves them to that place. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was literally thinking about that this very morning, that, that today could be the day that somebody's eternity is completely changed, and whatever role you could play in that with the conversation you have with someone or whatever role God could use me in that, to lead someone that direction, oh my goodness, what an incredible thought and responsibility at the same time, but just a, just a blessing. All right? Welcome. Week two. Week two of this Rise Up series where we are able to, to interact with our kids. Now, I, I had a good conversation with Kinley one day this week uh, about what she learned downstairs. Hopefully, you were able, if you've got kids or grandkids downstairs, to talk with them this last week a little bit about maybe unity and unity within the church and, and how we know that we are to be united together, how it's going to take all of us to work together to make this thing happen, to build this kingdom for God here on this earth as he prepares us to ultimately be with him forever. But you and I, believers, we've got to be willing to use the gifts and skills and abilities that God has given us to serve him and to serve each other. And those of us that have chosen to gather here together have an opportunity to meet together and multiply our abilities and our skills in ways that we don't even understand or can comprehend if we're willing to commit to being a part of that. Maybe some of you had some conversations about doubt with your kids if they're a little bit older and how Thomas, how hard it was for poor Thomas to believe that Jesus had indeed come back to life. He had to see him for himself. He had to have proof. My hope is that maybe you shared with, with your kids or grandkids, and you told them why you believe in that truth. 
And hopefully, maybe you said something like, man, I'm really excited that you're learning about the resurrected Jesus right now. And I just want you to know, child, I pray for you that you one day will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as well. Is there a better conversation you could ever have with your kids or grandkids? The answer is no. All right? It's not. There's not. I'll just go ahead and fill you in. You don't have to figure that one out for yourself. All right? The verse we talked about last week um, was from Paul, and it's Paul reminding us of the importance of the resurrection. It is not something that we can disregard. It's not something that we say, well, if it's true, great. If it's not, eh, it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. It, it's everything. It is everything. Everything we believe hinges on that moment in history. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, being verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ himself has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. We've testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead. But if he hasn't, then in fact, the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. We are still in our sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, of all people, are to be most pitied. Paul reminds us of the crucial nature of the resurrection. It is essential to who we are and to our faith. And yes, it takes faith to believe. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. But we believe. We believe that Christ has indeed been raised, and we believe that he has the power over sin and death, and we believe that he can and will forgive us of our sins if we come to him. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one, no one comes to the Father except through him. If you ever wonder what we believe around here, I just summed it up real short for you. Shouldn't be hard to figure out. So if you're here today or you're watching online, and you've not gotten to that point yet. You, you're just not quite ready to fully believe yet. You know what? That's actually okay. God's okay with that. He is patient with you, but, but can I ask you just a couple of quick favors? First this, keep listening. Keep listening. Keep searching for him because there's another side to this. There's an enemy that doesn't want you to believe, and he's going to do everything he can to confuse you, to trick you, to cause you to not believe. And so you must keep that open mind, that open heart ready for Jesus to answer you. The second thing is this, he will reveal himself to you. But if you have, if you have, if you're willing to receive him, see, he's not going to force his way into your life. He refuses to do that. He's not going to make you believe. But this, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from making a decision to follow Jesus. Now, if you're talking or have been talking with someone about Christ and they're just hesitant, this is, these are great questions for you to ask them, okay? What is it that's holding you back? What's keeping you from dis- making that decision? This is not a high-pressure sales tactic. We're not trying to force people into believe. That's not at all. But if you ask someone this question, why, why don't you believe yet? Or, or why haven't you given your life to Jesus yet? Always use the word yet because our assumption is, our prayer is that they will. All right? Don't ever leave them that out like, oh, you're never going to believe. No, 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 don't ever say that. Always leave that door open. And if you can offer a reason, if that person can answer you back, give, let them. Let them tell you why they don't believe yet, why they're struggling with this yet. And if that's you and you don't know, 
answer that question. Think about it seriously and be ready to answer that question. And when someone asks you, why don't you believe yet? Answer them truthfully and honestly, because then what God can do is God will use probably the person you're talking with to begin to answer that question or that doubt or that fear that you have, whatever that holdup is to help you work past that moment so you can follow Jesus. Maybe today is the day, as I said earlier, that you see something in our Jesus, a heart of God that maybe you didn't really sense before, how much he loves us. And maybe, just maybe, the Spirit will move you to a place where you're ready to come forward. Yes, we still allow and even want people, encourage people to come forward and make a decision for Jesus. Last week, we we focused on, on poor Thomas, the poor disciple that missed that initial meeting with Jesus. As he appeared to the disciples for that very first time, Thomas wasn't there. And as I said last week, I bet that guy never missed another meeting. And I have proof for this week because he went fishing with the guys and he was not a fisherman. Okay, there's a reason he went fishing with the boys and it wasn't because he wanted to, all right? Hopefully you can imagine what he went through as everyone else around him had seen and believed and yet he was left on his own and could not be persuaded. He had to see with his own eyes. He had to touch with his own hands. I'm sure he wanted to. More than anything, he wanted to believe, but he couldn't. He just couldn't. There was something holding him back. But the focus should not ever be on Thomas's doubt or Thomas's unbelief, and that's usually where we place it. The focus should be on Jesus and the love of Jesus. You see, because Jesus, yeah, he allowed Thomas to wrestle with this little thing for about a week, kind of testing him a little bit. Come on, Thomas, are you, gonna, do you have the faith to believe? Can you do it? Can you do it? No? Okay, that's cool. He didn't come back to meet with Thomas to condemn him. He didn't come back to ridicule him, but he came back to encourage him, to restore him, and ultimately to redeem him. Jesus even honored Thomas's very specific request. Thomas said in John 20, 25, after they told him that the Lord is risen, he said, unless I see the marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were in my hand and his side, I will not believe. So what's Jesus do? He shows up and he says, hey, Thomas, I get it. Here you go. Didn't make fun of him, didn't put him down, didn't condemn him to hell. He said, I know. Come here. Give me a hug. (laughs) He made it personal. That's our God. That's our God. And then he said, because you believe, man, that's awesome, that's great, but there are those who have not seen me, and yet they've believed. Jesus restored the faith of Thomas, and that's exactly, exactly what Thomas needed in that moment for him to believe. You know, Jesus knows what you need in this moment to believe as well. And he will absolutely provide that for you if you ask. But then Jesus added to this conversation, hey, yeah, there's a lot of people that that aren't going to see me physically, but yet they are going to believe. And if you aren't for sure of that, that's us, okay? We are them. We are those people. We've seen the evidence of Jesus, but we've not yet gotten to see him face to face. Again, I used that word yet. Did you notice? We've not yet got to see him face to face, but one day we will. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Amen. The event that we're going to study today comes from John 21. It shows us firsthand, up close and personal, the forgiveness of Jesus and what it looks like. So as we study today, here's the thing. Some of you have embraced, fully embraced the forgiveness of Jesus, and that is awesome. That is incredible for yourself. But some of us that have embraced that forgiveness for ourselves have refused to offer that forgiveness that we've received. (laughs) To someone else because of something that has happened, because of some way they have, they have hurt us. 
And so our prayer today is for the Spirit to fill you in such a way that either A, you accept the love of God and the forgiveness of God for the first time for yourself, or B, the Spirit allows you, enables you to go and share that forgiveness with someone you know. You know who it is, that you don't feel deserve that forgiveness. So here we go. John chapter 21. The Passover feast has just ended somewhat recently. The disciples head back to Galilee. We don't know the exact amount of days that have passed, but they appear to be looking for something to do. Peter has a great idea. Hey guys, let's go fishing. Now we don't know why they go fishing. It doesn't explain that. It might be because they wanted to. He hadn't been fishing in a while. It's possible. It might have been because he needed to. He had a family to care for and things like that, so maybe that was the reality. He might, it was Peter. He was an impatient guy. He might have got tired of waiting on Jesus' next instructions, and so he's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go fishing. We don't really know why they did it, and you know what? It's probably not that important, so we're not going to talk about it much. John tells us the story, John 21, beginning in verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, Yes, the one who would never miss another meeting. He's getting in the boat with them. Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, the two other, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And he said, well, well, we'll all go with you. Sure, why not? We've got nothing else to do. So they went, got in the boat, but then they caught absolutely nothing that night. I want to stop there just for a moment. Regardless of the reason of why they got into the boat, um, us males have difficulty dealing with failure. It's just true. So the fact that these, some of them, at least, at least a handful, at least four of them are trained expert fishermen, they go out and they completely fail again for some of them. For some reason, I've always wondered this, Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice already. Have you ever noticed, if you've studied this, you never ever hear what Peter's thought is about these two first interactions? He runs to the tomb, there's no Jesus. He and John have a conversation on the back, but we don't know what Peter said. Jesus shows up amongst them. We don't know what Peter thought about that. Thomas comes in, Jesus shows up again. We don't know what Peter thought or said. Peter was always the first one to speak. Those words are always recorded, yet we have no record of what Peter thought of these first couple interactions. And so I try to imagine being Peter and what would have been going through his mind during these times. He was excited. He was in disbelief as he saw his Savior once again in front of him. But you know in the back of his mind, or maybe the very front, he was dealing with the pain and the guilt and the shame of the betrayal that he knew he had committed. He denied ever even knowing Jesus, and yet there's the risen Savior right before him. Worse yet, Jesus had told him that that was going to happen. He said it never would, and it did. And now he's wondering as he sees Jesus, does Jesus know that I did that? Well, of course. Of course he knows that Jesus knows that he did that. How could Jesus ever use me, Peter, once again? It had to seem like his life as a part of this team, as a part of this group of people to carry this message of Jesus was, was kind of over and that he had at least failed. And now, to add insult to injury, he goes back to his old stomping grounds, probably his old fishing boat, goes out and can't even catch a stupid fish. He's a failure, <laughs> completely, at least if he's trying to do it on his own. If you've been watching the Chosen series in the first few episodes his wife, Peter's wife, is portrayed in that as constantly prodding him, like, quit trying to figure things out by yourself. Quit trying to do it on your own and rely on God. And I think that's just carried out here in, in the actual story. That's where they get those ideas as they wrote that script. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> Who's that? And no, why are you asking us? Are the questions? Hey, okay, just throw your net on the right side of the boat. 
then you'll find some. All right, if you've ever talked with a fisherman after an unsuccessful fishing excursion, one of two things probably happened. Either A, they lied, mm-hmm, or B, they're very disappointed, they're a little grumpy uh, about life because they just used all that time and nothing actually happened. If there's any fishermen in the room, you can agree or disagree, that's fine. These men have just spent the night at sea, couldn't catch anything, came back with nothing to show for it. We don't know their motivation for getting in the boat, but the failure is always going to be hard to accept. Now there's some guy on the shore mocking them for not catching any fish and then gives them the stupid idea of throwing the net on the other side of the boat as if that would actually work. Who does he think he is? My only question in this point is I wonder why did they even listen to him? Why did they take that suggestion? Was there something inside them saying, well, anything else to lose? Let's try it. I, I don't know. But they gave it a try, and it says when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Now, now my favorite part of that moment is, is, is the word deja vu, because for at least four of them, they were like, wait a minute, this has happened before. We've been out here and not caught anything. Then some guy got in a boat and went with us, and now we caught all this. Hey, I bet it's the same guy. Now, it says there's only one person that figured it out. Now, Luke is recording this in chapter 5 of the Gospels here. He sets the scene with Peter and the guys in the boat. They once again caught nothing. Jesus is with them. He insists, go ahead, throw it to the other side, and voila, they catch all the fish. Now, it's likely that the first time that happened was the same day that Jesus said, hey, guys, come follow me, and I'll make you fishermen, but... You'll be fisher of men. Matthew 4.19. It says the second time around, John records at least one disciple recognized that it was the Savior. Of course, John's giving himself credit. He wrote the book, so I guess he can do that. We don't know. It's the Lord, John says. Simon Peter, the one that typically overreacts, says, it is? Okay. Throws on his clothes, jumps in the water, swims ashore. They said it was about 100 Yards. The other disciples, they followed along in the boat, for they weren't far from shore. Peter was a bit overeager, always in life, but this time kind of takes the cake. He just jumps in. He didn't walk on the water. I think he gave that up. But he swam. He swam to get to Jesus as fast as he possibly could. He was so eager, so excited, so joyful to see Jesus once again. Now, for me, it seems like the exact opposite of what I would do. When I realized that was Jesus, when I realized my guilt and shame, I would have skipped to the back of the boat and probably not even helped row ashore and been the last one to get out to get on shore to even go greet him because I knew what I was dealing with in my personal life. But it didn't happen. He gets there. And Jesus tells him, bring some of the fish that you've caught Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, helped gather some of the fish that were there. It was a large catch of fish, 153 to be exact. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. When you're making stuff up, you don't include details like that, just so you know. It's true. Even with so many fish, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples there asked him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, I've always wondered. I don't know how many times I've read that statement. But that tells you something about the resurrection and the resurrected body. It didn't look like Jesus. Because if it looked like Jesus, they wouldn't be asking this question, Who are, who's that guy? Uh, the guys on the road to Emmaus wouldn't have asked that question. Mary wouldn't have asked that question at the grave. So there's something different about the resurrected body. That's a topic for another day. He took the bread, he gave it to them, he did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the third time they've been interacting with Jesus in person since his resurrection. My question is this, was every time they got to meet him just a little bit sweeter? 
Was this like old times? They're back on the shore, the Sea of Galilee. They're sharing a breakfast together. They're literally just hanging out. Was it like old times for the disciples? I wonder. Did they savor every opportunity they had to sit with their Savior and converse and talk with him? Because you see, they still don't know or understand what's to come. They don't know the full plan yet or how this ministry would continue into the future. So they eat, they, they probably share some stories. I'm sure Jesus sits back and just laughs and listens to whatever they shared with him. But then when they're all done, it says that Jesus pulled Peter aside. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, I got a question for you. Hey, do you love me more than these? You can even envision him probably pointing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yes, Lord. Yeah, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. That's not a bad question. Jesus just wants to make sure, you know, hey, Peter, you're, you're still in love with me. Great. You, you love me more than these other guys. Great. That's awesome. My question then is, okay, it was literal Peter. Did he go, okay, a sheep, um, Jesus, uh, you don't have any lambs? At least if you do over the last three years. I've never seen them, so you're going to have to tell me where you keep them. But yeah, I could probably take care of them for you if you just let me know. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? <laughs> you know that I love you, Lord. Okay, take, take care of my sheep. Now, well, the second time around, Peter's got to be asking himself a couple questions, wondering, um, why did Jesus just ask me that again? Um, did he not hear my answer the first time? You know, usually Jesus is a pretty good listener, <laughs> so I really don't have to repeat myself very often with Jesus. So why exactly did he ask me once again? But sure, I guess, I don't know about these sheep, but I can take care of them. Just tell me where they are. Third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? John records then, this time, that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. And it's probably at that moment when he said that, that he realized exactly what Jesus knew. <laughs> and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter's correct when he says that Jesus knows all things. And it, that includes the reality that Jesus knows exactly the way Peter denied him three times. Jesus starts that conversation by asking Peter by a different name. Jesus reverts to his pre-encounter with Jesus and says, Simon, son of John, not the name that Jesus gave him. Because you see, Peter had fallen backwards. And Jesus like, no, I got to bring you forward here, Simon, son of John. Come here, come here. All right, now you're Peter. Let's go again. Here we go. All three times he calls him by the wrong name. Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? As I said, he's probably referring to the disciples right over there sitting around the fire eating. He asks again. He asks again. And by the third time, there had to be a change in Peter's tone. That's probably why John wrote it the way it was because it says, if you read the rest of the story, that John's kind of like hiding in the weeds, like scoping out, like what's going on? What, what are they doing? So he remembers this scene very well. And this time, it seemed that the question finally connected with Peter. It had to be a painful process, a painful realization as Peter is gently reinstated by Jesus. As he relived the three times then that he had denied his Savior, Jesus has a way of reminding Peter of what is truly important here. Hey, Peter, here's the thing. You know and I know you failed. You're right. That's great. But here's what I want you to know. A, I still love you. B, I know that you failed, but you still love me. And I want you on my team. 
I got work for you to do. You are so valuable to me, Peter. Peter, I know you've already tortured yourself enough in the last several days. You don't need to do that anymore. I'm here to forgive you, to reinstate you, and then ultimately to challenge you to be the man of God that I know that you can be. And at the end of verse 19, Jesus issues the same challenge that he did the last time this event happened on this exact same shore. And he says, hey, Peter, follow me. Leave it all behind. Forget the boat. But he wasn't talking about the boat. He's talking about the guilt and the shame and the pain of the denial. Leave it behind and follow me. Jesus came to Peter. He sought Peter out on purpose just like he seeks out you and I today. Without this intentional meeting, there is no way to know what would have become of the great Peter. But you see, God doesn't leave things to chance. He refuses to do that. He comes to you. He comes to me now in the person of his Holy Spirit, and he calls to you, and he asks you, do you know that I love you? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know the things that I have done for you? Do you know that I alone can forgive you of everything? And right now in your mind, you're thinking, everything, does he really want me? Yes, everything. He knows everything. There is nothing that can come to your mind that he doesn't already know about. And he is willing to take that as far away from you as you can possibly imagine the scriptures say as far as the east is from the west. And in case you didn't know, those two never, ever meet. I'll separate you from all of it if, if you'll love me. It's the same question he's asking Peter. Do you love him? Do you want to find out more about him? He wants to take a walk with you. Absolutely, the rest of your life, he wants to walk side by side with you wherever you go to encourage you to follow him. It's no different than what he did with Peter in that moment. So, for today, what encouragement do you need from the Lord? I, I literally have my phone with me, but I got a prayer request. I don't even know where it came from. I got an email, it popped up on my phone, a prayer request. I don't know how it was submitted, I don't have any clue. But the only thing I can figure out is that God wanted me to tell you all of this prayer request, right? So I figure I'll do that. This person requested, say, could you please pray for all of the people right now that are dealing with anxiety and fear in our society? They need the encouragement of the Lord. And there's a hundred plus of us right here, right now, that can offer encouragement to those individuals. We can lift them up in prayer, and you'll get a chance to do that here in just a minute. So it's the only reason I can figure that popped up on my phone. I've never gotten a prayer request that way before. It wasn't to me. It was just a generic one to Berea Christian Church, and I got it. Do you know somebody that's feeling lost, hopeless, depressed in this world? All I can say is if you say no, you're not talking to enough people. I mean, if you're like, no, everybody in my life is fine. Well, either you're not talking to them very seriously or you don't have enough people in your life. One of those two things. We got to get busy, believers. We got to engage those people that are struggling and offer them the hope of the Lord. And I led off today with that very beginning of the idea of forgiveness and, and how Jesus comes to restore Peter. But Peter had to accept the forgiveness of Jesus. He could have rejected, you know what, Jesus, nope, I'm still not worthy. I'm still not good enough. I'm not going to follow you anymore. It's still our choice. If you fully embrace the forgiveness of Jesus, that is awesome. The challenge then becomes, have you fully offered the forgiveness of Jesus to anyone? To anyone that has offended you, that has wronged you, didn't say it would be easy. It might be the hardest thing because number one on the list is often 
yourself. Hardest person to forgive is usually yourself. We don't know what you're struggling with, but we love to pray with you. You know, we mentioned this. I grew up in a church much like this, not this church, but much like it. And we mention this all the time, but uh, the pastor would always, always come forward. The, the church that I worked with uh, for the last 12 years before I came here, the, the pastor would always, there would always be an invitation time is what we call it in the Christian church, if you will, a time of response, usually right after the sermon. It's the traditional place for it. Whatever. I don't know whose idea that was, but that's just where it is, okay? And you know what? That pastor is usually really lonely. Really lonely. Um, I don't remember, I can't count, maybe a handful of times you'd see somebody actually ever go up because that was the environment that we were brought up in. And the only reason that I hate that is because I know for a fact that the Spirit moves in people's lives, and I know for a fact that fact there are people that need prayer. One of them texted me this morning <laughs> and asked for it. They just can't physically be here in person yet. If that's you, please know there are people in this room that desperately want to pray with you. We have some people that are prayer warriors in this room. They don't need to know the details. If you want to share them, that's up to you. But they would love to pray for you. There's always going to be an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's always going to be an opportunity to come back to Jesus Christ. Maybe you accepted him so long ago, but you've kind of wandered astray. Know that Jesus has never left you. He never will. But you have every right, if you wish, to walk away from him. Problem is you can't get away because he's still always there wherever you go. You might think you're far from him. Eh, you're not. He welcomes you back into his arms this very morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. I, I love the scenes that are recorded. They are so precious. I know ultimately you are the one that hand-selected them. Father, you are the one that put these scenes in the minds of their authors. You said very specifically, you're not going to remember this now, but the Spirit will come and remind you of everything that I have done, everything that I have taught you. And then that Spirit allowed, inspired those writers to put these things down, and they're recorded for a reason. They are perfect examples for us. They show the humanity of everybody involved the fallen disciples, the imperfect disciples, the, one that, the ones that started this faith that we're still a part of thousands of years later, Father, they were completely flawed and imperfect just like every single one of us, and yet you used them. And their stories and their words encourage us to this very day. Father, be with everyone worshiping with us this morning, whether in person or online. And if they're at home and they're online and they're watching and, and something this morning brought them to that place, then I pray that they'll connect with us, they'll reach out to us, so that we can pray with them, so that we lead them closer to you. If they're struggling with forgiveness, that we can meet with them and help them understand how broad and expansive and permanent and absolute your forgiveness is of their sins. And Father, if they're struggling to forgive someone else, then I pray that we can use your word to encourage them, to empower them, to fully accept your forgiveness so they can offer to others. And as always, if there's anyone that has never made that first decision, never said to Jesus, Jesus, I, I love you. I don't fully understand you yet. I don't understand everything yet. That's okay. But I believe. If there's anybody that wants to make that confession today, we welcome them and encourage them to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.